This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Um, we're not going to have on today's show William Wellman Jr. and Ben Burt. We were hoping to bring both of them on to talk about an event, an extraordinary event I was privileged to see um, back in April. Uh, that was the screening of the original Oscar winner, Wings. Wings was produced by William Wellman Sr., and Ben Burt provided sound effects for the showing, and he's won four Oscars for his work in that area. Um, we are going to try and get him on the show, but it won't be today. But hopefully it'll be either next week or the week after. I can assure you that uh, talk about uh, William Wellman Sr. and the movie Wings and his life is, is just is going to be one of our most interesting programs uh, in recent memory. Today we're going to rely instead on some of our old friends, and uh, as they show up, uh, some well, actually old friends and maybe maybe a new friend, and we'll uh, we'll address them as they as they turn up. So let's start the show as we like to do with on this date in history, the date in question today being the twenty fifth of June. It's a rather extraordinary day in that it was on this date in seventeen fifty one, evidently that Nostradamus predicted the advent of radio parallax. At least that's how many interpret the following quatrain. Near a golden key and saddle, a school of those outstanding in their field will arise as a lighthouse of truth to guide those misled by the Transylvanians and the cardinals from the state near New Spain. And here's the interpretation. The golden key and saddle is obviously the golden gate in nearby Mount Tamalpais. A school of those outstanding in their field. Well, who's outstanding in their field but farmers? And, of course, that was the founding of UC Davis. A lighthouse of truth to guide those misled by the Transylvanians. Well, we think that's the work we've been up to in the past six years, doing what we can to combat the Bush-Cheney administration. And if you doubt that that refers to the Bush-Cheney administration, the cardinals from the state near New Spain, well, obviously that refers to the Red Party, the GOP from Texas being, of course, near New Spain, which is Mexico. It's crystal clear, really. And actually, I have to confess, we stole that idea shamelessly from humorist Jack Reapy, who we hope to bring on this program uh, in the future. When I read somewhere on his blog that the, his own advent had, predict, had been predicted by Nostradamus, parentheses, loosely translated, in parentheses, I, I just knew that idea had to be stolen. But actually, on June 25th in 1876, in the Battle of the Little Bighorn, Montana, the Sioux Indians, commanded by Chief Crazy Horse, defended their encampment from the troops led by Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer, who was among the 200 U.S. casualties. And Mr. Merriland points out he thought it was Sitting Bull rather than Crazy Horse, but I, I don't know. I think it was both, wasn't it? If you know, this might be a good chance for you to show off your historical knowledge and educate the public while you're at it by dropping a line to us at info at radioparallax.com. 1938. June 25th, federal law sets the U.S. minimum wage at 40 cents per hour. Here's one I like, a red-letter day in the history of broadcasting. June 25th, 1951, CBS television broadcasts in color for the first time. However, the four-hour special program cannot be seen in American homes in color, which lack color-receiving systems. CBS itself had only four such sets at its headquarters, among three dozen spread throughout its entire network. 
And finally, on June 25th in 1962, the United States Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to that the non-denominational prayer allowed in New York State schools is in fact unconstitutional because it violates the separation of church and state. And we think that the separation of church and state is a pretty darn good idea. Although we would add that the opinions you hear on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the UC Regents. And I would add, when I say that, we have no reason to believe any of those entities are in fact against the separation of church and state. Our quote of the day comes from Mary McCarthy, who said, If someone tells you he's going to make a realistic decision, you immediately understand that he has resolved to do something bad. And our quip of the day comes from Jerry Springer, who said, When a politician decides to make a living of politics, that's the day he becomes corrupt. Jerry Springer, the former mayor of Cincinnati, ought to know. Our joke of the day comes from last Sunday's Doonesbury comic strip, which consisted of six panels of NPR talk host Mark Slackmeyer talking into a microphone. Panel 1. And Teddy Roosevelt, perhaps mindful that both Washington and Lincoln forbade torture, ordered the court-martial of a U.S. general accused of waterboarding. Later, after World War II, the U.S. prosecuted Japanese interrogators for waterboarding. There was no debate about it being a war crime. Why then do half of all Americans now believe that torture can be justified in certain circumstances? This is the legacy of eight years of fear and lawlessness. This is the damage a small band of amoral leaders has done in stripping a nation of its own traditions of democracy. Well, anyway, sorry, that was kind of a long introduction. You still there, Secretary Rice? Last panel. Hello, Madam Secretary? Voiceover from the producer. Hey, I'm Mark. Just for your information, it took two years to book her. And yeah, that was a bit long-winded, but you know, I think if we ever had Condi Rice on this program, that's just about probably what, what would happen. Got a couple stats for today's show. How about this one? When he easily beat Jimmy Carter back in 1980, Ronald Reagan captured 55% of the white vote. John McCain won that same percentage of white voters last year, but lost decisively to Barack Obama. The difference? Blacks and Hispanics collectively accounted for 22% of the vote last year, up from 12% back in 1980. Bonus stat. When asked which of the current U.S. Supreme Court justices they most admire, Half of those responding either did not have an answer or could not name a Supreme Court justice. According to Fox News, the, quote, winner, unquote, was Clarence Thomas, picked by 11% of the population. Although it's interesting, it's interesting to note that he tied Sandra Day O'Connor, who in fact left the court in 2007. Oh, let's do one more bonus stat. Apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, two years ago, 47% of Harvard's graduates took jobs in finance and consulting. Only 20% of the class of 2009 will work in those fields, with more graduates planning to work in education and healthcare. Gee, education and healthcare versus finance and consulting. You know, there may be some hope for this country. All right, let's take a plunge into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week for 
The craziness of the American legal system last week when a lawyer here in California won a $510,000 discrimination settlement from the Oakland Athletics. Why? Well, the team gave away free floppy hats to female fans to promote breast cancer awareness. Thanks to Alfred Rava, who has filed numerous similar suits in the past, male fans who attended the Mother's Day game can claim a share of the judgment by calling a toll-free number. Though, when they actually called the operator on that number, she said, I haven't taken a single call so far, and I'm here just about every day. You know, it is so unfortunate that lawyers like this give 90% of lawyers a bad name. And it was a bad week for the lazy days of summer after students at one California elementary school found out they must attend 34 days of summer school because it turned out their school day was five minutes too short on 34 days. And according to the rules of the game, the district must make up the entire day or lose funding. I don't know whether we have administrators, lawyers, or just general morons to blame for this one, but we figured it had to be some combination. And it was definitely an ugly week this past week for the Republican Party. With the twin revelations that Nevada Senator John Ensign, described as a rising star in the GOP, admitted he had an extramarital affair with a campaign staffer. Ensign is a member is a member of Promise Keepers, a Christian group that promotes strong family ties. And apparently he was seen as a possible contender for the 2012 Republican presidential nomination. So, by the way, was South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford, who dis- despite being the governor of a state, elected to slip away for seven days to an undisclosed location. And of course, a missing governor does tend to attract a bit of notice. So when Sanford finally flew back to the States from Argentina, he admitted to an affair, told reporters he spent the last five days of my life crying in Argentina, and said he will resign as head of the Republican Governors Association. Yes, with these twin news stories one day apart, it does appear that the Republican Party's claim to be the party of family values is suspect. But for the record, some of my best friends are Republican. All right, in the world stage right now, Iran is dominating the news, and we hope in our second segment to have a discussion about what is going on over there. I hope that in the wake of a, uh, of a bogus election, the Iranian people will rise up and throw off their tyrannical regime. And to their credit, they've done it before. Although most recently, back in 1979, the regime they, pla- they replaced it with wasn't so hot. It was basically the current one. Anyway, we'll try and talk about that a little bit later in the program. I want to thank Ryan for sending an email which addressed this issue here in the state of California where bankruptcy is impending. Ryan sent a little diagram on the state budget. One of the things they're talking about in California is closing our state parks to help uh, uh, financially straighten matters out. But the diagram shows a spigot above a bucket. The spigot is labeled general fund money to state departments, and the bucket shows you the departments. Education, 55% of the budget. Health and human services, 31% of the budget. Corrections, 10% of the budget. Coming out of this spigot was one drop headed for the bucket titled State Parks, 0.25%. Ryan posed the question, so 
Tell me again how closing state parks are going to help solve our financial problems. Ryan noted that uh, some other states have passed some vehicle registration fees to keep open state parks. And if we did so in California, $15 that went to the state parks directly and not into the black hole of the general fund could fix things. And, you know, it's an idea we think a lot of us may need to get behind. It is us who may need to get behind this because it turns out the way things work in any bureaucracy, in this case the California state bureaucracy, the uh, parks come under the direction of the executive branch agencies, which are controlled by the governor and who's not allowing them to come out publicly and say, wouldn't it be great for state parks if we, uh, you know, had this special tax to get us off the general fund? The reason for this is Arnold Schwarzenegger does not want new taxes, even though it's not, this is not technically a tax, but a fee increase. But uh, since agency directors work for Arnold, they have to keep mum about it unless he gives them the thumbs up for the heads up on that one and that that actually i think i can say was our own ryan todd who has followed this program for the past half year but i gather is taking the summer off so i'm not sure who's going to be here at six o'clock but don't worry somebody will be and i'm sure that somebody will uh will do what ryan does and what all the other djs do on this program is which is continue to bring you week in and week out a great assortment of eclectic music you're just not going to hear elsewhere All right, item from the duh file. Apparently the Center for Disease Control has finally admitted that the current swine flu outbreak, the H1N1 flu variety, which as we speak is down in the southern hemisphere giving people the flu, does meet the criteria for a pandemic, which if you've been following the story, you would have known, you know, some time ago. It does meet the criteria. They were just being coy about this, I guess, because they they didn't want certain nations to feel bad about their lack of preparation. And also from something like the duh file is this little item. Apparently some Uyghurs, spelled U-I-G-H-U-R-S, these are the Muslim minority people who live in western China, and have kind of a somewhat adversarial relationship with the central Chinese government. Well, there's a story here of four ethnic Uyghurs, who fled China for Afghanistan and then fled Afghanistan in 2001 once the official uh, U.S. assault began, uh, apparently got turned in by bounty hunters in Pakistan. After being falsely accused of being terrorists, were shipped off to Guantanamo Bay, where they have remained until this year. Part of the reason they remained in Guantanamo for so long, even though it was known that they were not in fact uh, terrorists was the fact that, uh, well, the Chinese government just wasn't happy with the Uyghurs. Fortunately for these four individuals, Bermuda elected to take them in. The current edition of The Week magazine has a photo of one of these guys, one of these bearded fellows in a rather long 1890s-style bathing suit uh, frolicking in the waves of Bermuda. The four guys say they plan to open a Uyghur restaurant. Said ex-detainee Abdullah Abdulkadir, Uyghur food is delicious. These kind and generous people of Bermuda, we want to do something for them. Interesting that the Pacific Island nation of Palau had offered to also take some Uyghurs. Palau gets about $200 million a year in U.S. aid, so that was kind of a natural uh, bribe. But oddly enough, by Bermuda electing to exercise some foreign policy, they've gotten in some hot water with the U.K., because thanks to arcane uh, rules of colonialism, Bermuda apparently 
does have the right to conduct its own foreign relations, but only on the condition that it seeks permission from London before entering into any agreement with any other states, which apparently in this case they did without checking with number 10 Downing Street. I guess for me the most amazing thing about this story is that these guys are turned in by bounty hunters and were known to be innocent, and yet they languished seven years in Guantanamo Bay. So I guess if I ever get to Bermuda, I'm going to go to their restaurant. I think it's the least I can do. All right, here's a story that's scaring the hell out of me. It may scare you too a little bit. According to New Scientist magazine, um, this aviation disaster on that flight from Brazil to Paris has a lot of people in the field worried. They are hoping that the thing that's going to get ruled out in this tragedy is structural failure. If they cannot do that, they may be forced to rethink the next revolution in aviation, which is the replacement of metal aircraft with those made from lightweight composite materials. The move to carbon fiber reinforced plastic is the biggest shift in aircraft design since the introduction of the all-aluminum pressurized aircraft in the 1950s. Composites are much lighter than metal, so planes can carry more passengers with the same amount of fuel. Airlines have been introducing carbon fiber parts, like rudders and tail fins, over the past couple decades. And we might, uh, might take the time to remind you that it was structural failure involving such carbon fiber components back in 2001, when that Airbus climbing out of New York City hit turbulence, snapped off its carbon fiber tail, and crashed, killing all aboard. It's noted that uh, when metal, uh, metal parts do, you know, are about to break, they will, they will deform. You'll get a little bit of a warning, whereas carbon fiber components can just suddenly snap, and that's the end of it. Well, what's the scariest part about this? Well, the Boeing 787 is about to go online to be followed by the Airbus A350 a couple years from now, and these are the first aircraft with pressurized CFRP fuselages. Personally, I think I'm going to try and stick to planes made out of metal for the foreseeable future. And yes, apparently with today's technology, you can verify what kind of aircraft you're going to fly on a flight that you book. And I think it may be time to start taking a look at that. I think we should end this segment on a happier note. We have this, uh, this item from the, uh, from the world of science. Researchers over in the UK, the University of Portsmouth, took it upon themselves to tickle various primates. <laughs> they apparently tickled two dozen young primates, gorillas, chimps, orangutans, bonobo, bonobos, and apparently threw in three human babies, and recorded the 800-odd sounds that then burst forth. An acoustical analysis revealed surprising similarities between the giggles and guffaws of the humans and those of the other primates which suggests that laughter dates back 10 to 16 million years, back to the common ancestor from which humans and all great apes evolved. Our results indicate that it was tough being a stand-up comic when you were a lemur, said researcher Marina Davila-Ross. Actually, no, she didn't say that at all. <laughs> what she actually said was, our results on laughter indicate its pre-human basis and suggest the act of laughter was hardwired into humans. These findings could have implications both for research into human emotions and for the management of primates in captivity and the wild. And for the record, it appears that Bobby Slayton has now booked himself into the UC Davis Primate Center throughout next week. Apparently his Chinese restaurant bit was quite a hit among the bonobos. And you know, we are big fans of the Week magazine on this program, and I must say that if you, on the June 26th issue, the photograph of three orangutans yucking it up uh, it's worth the price of the magazine just for that one picture. 
And for the record, the three orangutans looked more sophisticated in the front row at the last Andrew Dice Clay event. But I digress. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break.